bowlines, chalices and wands. And it's hello from me, Jenny. I just wanted to thank everyone who came over and commented on our Facebook page about last week's episode. It was lovely hearing about what people did or resolutely didn't do for the Queen's Jubilee. There really was a diverse range of views about the Jubilee and the role of monarchy in modern society. We've also had a lot of lovely feedback about Janet Munnin's interview and listeners seem fascinated with the concept of polytheistic monasticism. This week we're bringing you a slightly shorter episode. We've had such interesting guests with so much to say that we've very little time left on this cycle of our podcast hosting platform. As you may or may not be aware, there are lots of associated costs with running a podcast, not accounting for the time that Hazel and I spend creating content. We have previously tried Kofi and asked for donations towards the running costs. However, we've not had much in way of contributions. So as we move forward, we might consider advertising to keep the show free for all, or maybe holding an annual GoFundMe. The other idea we've had is starting a Patreon with some additional content to help towards the show's running costs. We would love to hear your opinions on what you think would work best. If you're a witchy or pagan biz that might be interested in sponsoring or advertising, please do get in touch. And as Azel said, this week we are revisiting the topic of altar tools. Way back over on Spoke 11, Hazel and I gave a general overview of altars and in Spoke 69 we dove a little deeper into the symbolism of the cauldron. And this week I'll be talking about athames and bowlines. I find it interesting that when writing about witchy tools, Dorian Valiente uses the phrase magical weapons. I looked up on how to define a weapon and there were common phrases like any instrument or device for use in attack or defence in combat. Or a weapon is an object such as a gun, a knife or a missile which is used to kill or hurt people in a fight or a war. I've never thought of any of my magical tools as weapons although I suppose in certain situations that's how they could be used. Certainly in Harry Potter, wands are often used as weapons. In the books and the films, wands are used to direct curses and jinxes. Also, wizards and witches duel with their wands, in a way very similar to fencing. They are also used for protection and healing and general charms, of course. However, in the books, wands are also used in another more moving way and this has been referenced by American pagans. In 2016 a gunman murdered 49 people and wounded 53 more in a mass shooting at Pulse, a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida. After the shooting a group of LGBTQIA pagans came together to create a ritual for the dead of Orlando. The group was called Wands Up for Orlando. One of the founders, Salvatore Calci, wrote, Why Wands Up? In the movie Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, after the death of Dumbledore, all students of Hogwarts take their wands and raise them into the air to light up the sky and sweep away Voldemort's evil curse. 
Similarly, we want to sweep away the curses of intolerance and violence with the light that shines from our hearts and hands, joined together and in support of one another. Now, a reminder, you don't need a lot of expensive, shiny items to create an altar. You don't have to go out and spend a lot of money. In my experience, altars build organically over time. And no judgment, of course, but I get a little melancholy when I see an altar starter kit. I get that it's convenient, and when we start out, we are often desperate to do things the right way. And it's definitely something that I was drawn to purchase myself. However, looking at my altars today, I have lovely little items that have been found or thrifted or bought as reminders from pagan camps or witchy festivals. And each item tells a story, holds a memory, or has been a treasured gift from a pagan friend. So an athame is a double-bladed knife. It's usually blunt as its purpose in Wiccan and pagan rituals is often to direct energy. It's never supposed to physically cut anything, but rather to symbolically cut. I don't regularly use an athame in my practice. I did buy one as a newbie witch. After all, the Wicca 101 books said it was an essential tool. I bought my athame off eBay. It's small, double-bladed, and a black handle, as tradition sometimes dictates. And very probably mass-produced and made in China. The hilt does fit very comfortably in my hand, and my hands are tiny, but I never really bonded with it. And I don't know if that is because it was bought off eBay to tick a box I felt needed ticking. Perhaps if I'd chosen it from a selection of blades and found one that really called to me, I would have had a very different relationship to a ritual blade. And I don't think that I'm alone in this problematic relationship with the athame. Jason Mankey over on Patheos mentions that he too has had a love slash hate relationship with the athame over the last 20 years. He appreciates that it is possibly one of the most recognisable tools in a modern witch's toolbox and one that is possibly unique to Western religion. And while my athame was one of the first tools I purchased, Jason says that for him, it was one of the very last ritual tools that he purchased or made. Even then, his first athame was wrong, depending on the context in which it was being used. He goes on to explain that his first athame was long, wavy and had a brown hilt which breaks with some of the common held traditions associated with a ritual blade. Jason gives some further background information about the athame. He states that the word athame is first remarked upon by Gerald Gardner in Witchcraft Today, published in 1954. While Gardner referred to the athame as the witch's knife, he did not give specific details of construction or the materials that should be used to make an athame. And Gardner also suggested that magical tools that were secondhand were appropriate as older tools have gained energy. Jason also cites Starhawks The Spiral Dance, published in 1979, who continued to give much more detailed description of the athame, 
linking it to the element of air and giving those traditional associations that is usually a double-bladed knife with a black wooden handle. Some covens specify the length of the blade and the materials that it can be made from, but length is probably a safety precaution. Jason suggests, in general, it's a good idea to keep it shorter if you'll be practicing in a tight circle. No one wants to ruin a ritual by stabbing their coven mates. And I was told in my first circle that your athame blade should no, be no longer than your palm. So as mentioned earlier, with my teeny tiny hands, that was really quite a challenge. Please do check out Jason's article, as always links will be in the show notes, as he really does have so much fascinating information about ritual blades. He talks about how the word athame is attributed to Gerald Gardner, but that there is a much, much longer history of black handled knives going back centuries and them being a potent weapon against evil spirits. As I mentioned earlier, that the athame is generally used for directing energy, cutting ties, drawing symbols. In my first circle, we used the athame to cast the circle, and once it was cast, if we needed to leave the circle, the athame was used to cut and then reseal a doorway in the circle. Traditionally, the athame has been assigned masculine qualities. It's used in the Wiccan Great Rite to represent the male aspect, the phallus. It can be used in consecration rituals, such as consecrating salt, water and wine within ritual, or to charge other magical tools. Depending on your tradition, the athame might symbolise fire, as the blade will be forged in fire but it's more commonly associated with air because of sharpness and intellect. Another common belief is that an athame has a black handle because it stores energy raised in rituals for use in later spell work. Nowadays, we are spoilt for choice. There is an intoxicating array of choices of athames at any pagan festival or neo-pagan shop. Beautiful blades made in a variety of materials, wood, stone, crystal, metals, all with ornately decorated hilts. Of course, alternatively, you could consecrate a kitchen knife. I know that my witchery leans more to green and kitchen witchcraft. While Wicker suggests that an athame is never used for cutting, for me, I think I'm more drawn to the idea of a blade that could be used to harvest herbs or inscribe a candle. I like the idea of a ritual item also being a practical item. Of course, some Wiccan practitioners use a different type of blade for cutting mundane items, and this is known as the bowline. And Rachel Patterson comments on this particular type of blade. Bowline, now that is a fancy name for a knife to cut herbs. It usually has a white handle, and will usually have a curved blade. It can also be utilised for carving symbols in candles for spell work. I have to admit, I don't own one, but when I need to cut herbs, I use secateurs, and when I need to carve candles, I use a large pin. But if you fancy owning one, go for it. So when choosing an athame or bowline, learn from my experience, don't rush in. Enjoy the process of finding a blade or blades that are right for you. If you are part of a coven, they may have specific requirements. 
If you are a solitary, is an athame or a bowline something you want, something you think you'll need? I would always suggest being a thrifty witch and letting your blade find you. Look in unlikely places like charity shops or car boot sales. Another option would be to make your own blade. When Hazel and I attend the Mercian Gathering, I love seeing the forge and watching people forging their own blades. Because of my neurological issues, it might be a little too perilous to undertake that myself, but it could be a really lovely personalised option. I've quite enjoyed revisiting the Athame. I think that part of my resistance to blades is that personally, for me, knives and swords may feel a little aggressive. I know that's all about intent, but having worked with young people and delivered training around knife crime, it might just never sit comfortably with me as a tool, and that's okay. But it also got me thinking about how the gendering of items might impact on others. If you work with others, are the tools and symbols that you use inclusive? As we are moving beyond the binary, Major Aquina blogger Enfis Book comments on rethinking the Great Rite. The symbolic rite used in many Wiccan traditions is meant to symbolise the unifying of opposite polarities, represented by an athame dipping into a chalice. The Great Rite is also meant to symbolise the pure energy of creation. It can be seen as a metaphor for penis in vagina. The quintessential Ikea-esque insert tab A into slot B routine. So it has a veneer of being about heteronormative fertility as well. This type of imagery can be uncomfortable and alienating for people in magical communities who identify outside the gender binary or whose sexuality isn't heteronormative. It can also be very uncomfortable for people who have been abused as the penis is represented by a blade which has the connotations of pain and violence. So that's given me a lot to think about. I work predominantly in women's ceremonial groups and we rarely use athame and seldom practice the great rite outside of Beltane celebrations. And I know that many of us are committed to making paganism as inclusive as possible. No one is saying that these symbols should all be universally replaced, but I would invite you to check out queer authors and bloggers for more ideas. First, just to say, why use tools in the first place? As Scott Cunningham explains, these tools aren't necessary to the practice of Wicca. However, they enrich rituals and symbolise complex energies. And I think that's the case with any ritual, whatever path you happen to follow. Doreen Valiente wrote that the wand is attributed to fire. They appear in the tarot where they represent energy and creativity. It's the tool for invocation. And she also wrote that the wand among witches sometimes took the form of the riding pole on which they performed the traditional jumping dance to make the crops grow. The idea behind it was that what anthropologists call sympathetic magic, though witches describe it as showing the thing what to do, a concept basic to many witch rites. 
Some may see the wand and Athame as interchangeable, as they can both be seen as phallic, as Theresa Morey says, related to the male principle, the going forth rather than being and containing. Although the wand relates to fire rather than air, Theresa said that she would reuse a wand in rituals connected to the elemental properties of fire. She felt that the Fame is for directing and focusing her own energies, while the wand is for entering the realm of energies already present and working with them, such as working with moon energies. It was her book, Witchcraft, that I used when first acquiring a wand. If you want to make your own, you can select a tree and ask it if you may have a small branch for your wand. You might then want to get to know it by visiting it and harmonising with the tree. So if you ask your tree, you are aware of its answer. Another way is to go into the woods and let yourself be drawn to a particular tree. Again, ask it for a branch or if you can have one of its fallen branches. Teresa says that if you cut a wand from the tree, do it sensibly. Leave the tree tidy and thank it. Rub your left thumb over the wound as a healing gesture. You can stick crystals to your wand or an acorn or cone and carve symbols or runes into it. And it's good to oil the wand with grapeseed oil or another vegetable oil to keep it supple. Or you can buy a ready-made one or a length of dowel and decorate it. You can tie ribbons and feathers to it or paint it. Personally, I went into Clanger Wood in Wiltshire for my wand. I was drawn to a grove of hazels and I asked one if I could have a branch for a wand. The tree agreed. I think it's usual to take the bark off when making a wand, but I was struck by how beautiful the bark was. It shimmered and gleamed bronze and cream, so I left it on. I sharpened the end like a pencil as I read somewhere else that that's what you're supposed to do. And that was all I did. I've never carved it or stuck crystals to it. I never felt the need to. Wands are supposed to have particular properties according to the wood from which they're made. Hazel wands promote wisdom and knowledge gained from meditation, dreams and visions to help unleash creativity and psychic ability and also can be used for water divination. The Gaelic white wand was made from yew, slow growing and related to the wisdom of the goddess. Rowan wands are protective, willow ones connected to the moon. Merlin's wand was made of oak. For my next wand that I have to make will be from Hawthorne. There are a number of trees where I live and I asked one recently if I could take a small branch that had fallen to the ground. Hawthorne energy is said to be powerful and complex. It is one of the only plants attributed simultaneously to Mars and Venus. A Hawthorne wand is said to be a traditional tool for spells of love, health, facility, chastity, longevity, protection and death. It's associated with working with the Fae, communicating with spirits and ancestors. Hawthorne is said to be particularly good for protection spells, inner journeying, and inspiring creativity, for opening the heart and detecting the presence of magic. Wands are not just used by witches, they're also used in Druidry and in the Northern tradition. In the Norse mythology, the seeresses or Volva possessed such strong powers that even the king of the gods, Odin, could benefit from their help 
and advice. Volvo probably means staff or wand carrier. The staff or wand was an important accessory in the carrying out of the scythe or magic. And there are several examples of mysterious iron staffs from Viking Age graves. They've been found in the graves of wealthy women. Apple wands were also used in Norse love rituals. To the Norse, apples represented long life, wisdom and love. The wand was an important tool used by Druids in general. Wands were not just used as a badge of office, but also as a magical tool to direct and control energy. And the wand is also associated with the traditional celebration of Imog, where a slat Brigid, wand of Brigid, is placed with a Brydog, in the hopes that the morning will reveal the marks of the wand in the fireplace ashes. The slat Brigid is described as a straight section of white wood with the bark peeled off, and is often made of birch, willow or bramble. For Scott Cunningham, the chalice is just a cauldron on a stem. It represents the goddess and is related to water. It's reminiscent, of course, of the Holy Grail. In witchcraft, it can be used to hold water on the altar or to contain drink that's to be drunk as part of a ritual. It's a symbol of abundance and fertility and, as I've said, has several purposes, including offering libations to deities and partaking in the cake's name ceremony. And it can have a beverage appropriate to the season, for example, pomegranate juice for the autumn equinox. The chalice can be made of all kinds of different materials, wood, clay, silver, brass, glass, crystal, etc. I would say the most important thing is that whatever material it's made from, it's safe for drinking from. And interestingly, a chalice is a ritual tool used in pre-Christian paganism, contemporary Wicca and Christianity. In Christianity, it plays a similar role as seeing pagan rites. It holds a libation. And as mentioned, it's the other tool used in the Wiccan Great Rite, a ritual celebrating creation and birth, where the chalice and affirmate play a central symbolic role. The affirmate being placed in the chalice to represent sexual intercourse and the union of male and female. In other rituals, the chalice is filled with water and wine and blessed before being passed around the coffin members who take a small sip. You don't need an expensive silver goblet. You can find something simpler and less expensive, or dedicate a cup you already own for the purpose. It can be particularly powerful to be used one that's been in your family for a long time, as it will have a lot of loving vibrations stored up in it already. Goblet-shaped cups or short-stemmed wine glasses are nice, but anything that holds liquid will do. For a long time, mine was a large goblet made from Mexican glass, and I was not happy when it got broken. I have now replaced it with a ceramic one that's decorated with a mermaid. But try having a look in the supermarkets or charity shops. A plain glass or cup can be decorated with acrylic or glass paints. Like the wand, the chalice is found in the tarot with the suit of cups. And the ace of cups, this card is usually full of beautiful imagery of a hand holding up a cup or chalice. And the card represents newness, new emotions, new way of processing things, the results of transformation, and even spiritual awakening. 
or new love? Oh, thank you, Hazel. That was really interesting. While you were talking, I was just wondering, do you think the days of drinking out of a communal chalice are long gone? We've um, switched over to uh, using shot glasses with a shot glass for everybody. Uh, are you? Yeah. What do you think? In the coven at the moment, we're still using little individual shot glasses. And I think until COVID is long gone, we'll probably carry on. Mm. Which is a shame, but... We're a living tradition. We adapt and move with the times, don't we? We do. So, goodbye from me. Links are in the show notes to where you can find all of the websites and books that we have referenced in this week's episode. Out of the altar tools that we have mentioned, which ones do you use in your practice? What tips do you have for choosing altar tools? And do you make altar tools? Or do you have a particularly cherished item that you've bought? We would love to see photos. If you've got any thoughts or experiences that you'd like to share, come and discuss them with us over on our Facebook page. Just search at The Wheel Podcast. And it's goodbye from me. Hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and see you next week for our 100th episode of The Wheel. Bye.